Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Julia LaRose Show. We have a returning guest on the show today. We are joined by Milton Berg, founder and CEO of MB Advisors. Milton is known for his work in technical analysis as well as his macro research. In this episode, we discuss turning points in the market and why we could be approaching one. Milton also explains why more people than you realize are misanalyzing this market. I always learn something from Milton and I know you will too. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Milton Berg. Milton Berg, CEO and Chief Investment Strategist at MB Advisors. It is so great to welcome you back on the show. Milton, thank you so much for joining me again. Appreciate the invite. Nice to see you again. Well, it's nice to see you, and I really enjoyed our conversation last time, and I think the viewers did too, especially with your focus, not only on macro, but technical analysis and helping us all learn and get better. So I was hoping, Milton, we could start with the big picture for you today. What is the macro picture for you? We can divide it into two parts. We can do the economy and the markets. Let's start there. There's two big pictures. There's the long-term big picture and the short-term big picture. We always have to uh, keep in mind the background of the long-term big picture. The long-term big picture is that the United States is a capitalist economy. As long as it remains a capitalist economy, you have to expect its, it's uh, stock market indices to generate positive returns over the long term. Uh, bonds won't do well if stocks don't do well because if companies, uh, if, if a co in the country is socialist, you won't have a bond market either. So if we, if we make an assumption that the United States remains capitalistic, you can make an assumption that stocks will do well over the long term. And therefore, people who are young and setting aside money for retirement for the next 30 or 40 years, they shouldn't worry about accumulating stocks. Even if stocks are temporary overpriced, you find good companies that you could invest in uh, month after month, you'll probably do well and you could ignore market fluctuations. For people who already have a nest egg or for endowments or for pension funds, uh, it's a totally different story. You really have to focus on short-term or intermediate-term movement. You have, if you have a $20 billion portfolio in an endowment and the, market's gonna, uh, the stocks will collapse 50% or bonds will, will lose 30%, you don't want to be in that asset while it's happening because you really are more concerned over the ability to make payouts over the short-term than where your assets will be over the long-term. Um, and of course, many people in this business are traders. They're trying to outperform the market. I mean, the S&P's long-term return, going back to 1920, has been about 10.2% per annum. Uh, people like to do better than that. I and mean, in order to do better than that, you have to have an edge over the S&P. Some people find their edge picking good stocks, and some people find their edge in picking good stocks when the market is doing well and being out of stocks or, or shorting poor stocks when the market is doing poorly. So big picture is really depends who you are. I would say, though, that one thing we can all agree on even though we're in a capitalist economy, there is one part of the economy that is controlled by government. It's very socialistic, and that is the, the money supply. That is the, uh, that is the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve was started in, in the early, in, in the teens, in the, in the 19, like 1913, 1916, basically, when the world was talking about uh, planning, everyone was talking about you know, moving towards socialism, move, moving towards central planning. The Federal Reserve basically is a central planning institute for the money supply. For, for interest rates, and therefore you can assume that the the, the, the dollar is, is trash. You, you don't want to hold dollars for the long term. When the dollar is backed by gold, there was a logic to own, own dollars for the long term because gold maintains its value. But you can't own dollars for the long term because uh, a dollar now, I think, is worth two, two cents what it was worth when the Federal Reserve first got into business. So one thing you have to know, you need an alternative to dollars, certainly over the long term. Maybe sometimes over the short term, you can hold your dollars and, and, and find an investment, uh, you know, that, um, that that that, that, how, that uh, gets back to its proper value, and you could invest it. But over the long term, you have to find alternatives to cash. So I believe the best alternative to cash over the long term is to invest in gold over the long term. Gold has given a positive return of five point four percent per annum date back to the nineteen twenties. Um, it's 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 always as volatile as stocks are, but not quite. But the reality is that you don't pay taxes on the appreciation of gold, um, and it's a it's a it's a real asset which will go up with. With the inflation rate, and a little bit more as people like to invest in it. So I think gold is a very good long-term investment. Not again, not talking the short-term. Stocks are good long-term investment if your uh, if the capital system remains as it is. We don't know where that will happen. We can make that, we try to make that assumption. Bonds, on the other hand, don't really have a great record. They have a great record in the period of uh, of disinflation, but for quite a number of years, I mean, for for I think it was a thirty-year period, bonds were called. Certificates of guaranteed confiscation during inflationary periods, the value of the bonds go down. The value of the income stream received from bonds decreases year after year. 
So in my opinion, I think we're back to an inflationary type of stage in the market. We're, and I'm not sure bonds are the best place to be on, on a short-term basis. On a long-term basis, gold and, 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 and finalized stocks should buy. Let me get more to the short-term, which is something I'm more interested in than the long-term. Uh, oh, getting back to the long-term, though, also there's been a major change in the economy, uh, and that is debt to GDP, uh, total debt, all sectors of the U.S. economy, not just government debt, all sector debt to the GDP is approaching 400%. Uh, going back, you know, in the early 1960s, it was less than 100%. So as there's more and more debt in an economy, you can expect that the ultimate growth rate in the economy to decrease. And I think that's what we're seeing. We used to see uh, real GDP in the United States grow at 3 4 5 6%. Now we see real GDP growing at 1%, 2 If you're lucky, it'll be 3%. So I think you're not going to see the same growth rates that you've seen in the past. And that probably tells you the stock market will not have a 10% uh, well, uh, real, it, may have, it may have a 10% return over the long term, but the real return will probably be lower over the long term than it's been in the past, just simply because the economy can't grow as it has. And just talking about the broad stock market, we're not talking about buying individual stocks. There's always going to be individual stocks that do very, very well in any environment. So that's just something to keep in mind about long-term debt to GDP. I'm not one of these these, uh, these uh, dooms, doomsayers who say, wow, due to the debt GDP, the economy will collapse. Uh, economies uh, uh, in, a, in a capitalist market, the economy is able to adjust to a collapse, able to adjust to a, a recession or depression. It's only when the government gets overly involved that the uh, depressions or recessions are extended. And we really don't know what kind of government we'll have. Maybe we'll turn to some sort of a uh, conservative type government will allow the situation to fix to fix itself. But basically, death of GDP is high, which means it will be slowed down in the economy, won't grow as much as it has, whether it'll be a great depression as some people are projecting, no way to project that. It really depends on uh, where the government interferes in any downturn. They don't interfere, we'll come out of it quite, quite well, no matter how many bankruptcies you do get. Uh, so that's, a, uh, that's basically the long term. Uh, um, as far as more the short term, on the other stand, I'd like to make another, a different point. And maybe I spoke at last time I was on this, uh, I was with you. And that is that we were very bullish last October. The market gave many, many bullish indications last October to say the bull market began. For some reason, and despite the fact that people were talking about inverted yield curves and recessions, we said the evidence, as we saw it last October, was very, very bullish. But the evidence, we see, see it now, now that everyone is trying to tell us, hey, you're not, have, you're not having a recession. Hey, the market is starting the bull market. Now we're starting to see strong evidence of, of negative uh, of negative forecasts for this market. We're seeing evidence the market will not do well. Um, and the, this bull market may be ending or, or certainly headed for a significant correction. Um, and that's, that's actually my view now. I'd like to use some evidence for that. But uh, that's basically my view. Uh, October was a time to buy stocks and everyone was fearful. Now it's not the time to buy stocks and everybody's optimistic and everybody's, everybody's basically assuming that the, the, the worst is behind us. If I, if I give you some reason, um, obviously the, the Fed really didn't start tightening uh, you know, uh, uh, 14 months ago, like everyone says. When the Fed started raising rates, it was just raising rates nominally, but the rate of, the rate of the federal funds was below the inflation rate. So they can say they're raising rates, but Monetary, the monetary environment was not tight at all. They were playing catch-up to the fact that rates were at 0% for so many years. So really, only started raising rate this June. The first time we start seeing the federal funds rate show a positive return over the inflation rate just began in the last two months. So the Fed is just starting to raise rates now. So the argument that people make, wow, the Fed has raised rates 11 times and the market has done so well, isn't that phenomenal? Not really true. The market raised rates 11 times, but Nine of those 11 times, they weren't really raising rates, just catching up to the inflation. Finally, they're above the inflation rate, started to raise rates, and that's the reason to, to, to turn bearish now rather than to turn bearish uh, a year ago when, or last October when the market was actually booming and the market started booming then simply because the monetary situation was not tight at all. So uh, that's, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say about stocks. There are many uh, nuances and particular things we can discuss, but maybe I'll leave it up to you if you have some specific questions about what I've said so far. You know, I, lo I love it, Milton, because you gave me like a, an amazing outline to just ask you more questions and I took a ton of notes. Okay. Um, one of the things I know about you is that you do turning point analysis. You look for these turning points or ends of trends. You're mentioning um, even going back to October where you saw more of that bullish evidence. And I think a lot of people missed it. You're right. They pointed to inverted yield curves and whatnot. And now you're pointing out strong evidence of a more negative forecast. Can you help us? Um, I don't know. You you don't probably don't want to give away your secret sauce, but can you help us understand 
What do you look at? What is the evidence for you? Can you take us a bit into Definitely. that process I, and what you're seeing now? I do they all now? I will not give away my secret sauce. Uh, I certainly will not. But uh, I will give you basically turning point analysis. That is the point. We try to find what does the market do at turning points. So it's easier to find turning points at a low because usually the technical indicators converge within one week of sales low, and we're able to get a, a, a buying buy location within one week of low. Top's a little bit broader, but nevertheless, we're able to find. Uh, uh, turning points. We're finding evidence for the turning point now. And I realize just as stock pickers will tell you that the, the greatest stock pickers like Warren Buffett, for example, or uh, no reason they should have names, will tell you that they're only correct roughly 70, 75 cents at a time. So too, when you do turning point analysis, not every turning point turns out to be a, a, a true turning point. You just look at the data and you look at the historical um, uh, market reaction and you're also looking at probabilities. There's no way to say that we're seeing the market's topic here. We, we, we're not projecting that it's a major top. It might just be a correction. But the evidence is that we're, we're at a turning point now, as opposed to the, a bearish turning point now, as opposed to the bullish turning point we saw in October. So let's just review a little, a little bit what we saw in October, what we see now. First, I want to say we've seen no buy signals, despite the so-called momentum market. You know, Since May and June and July, everyone's saying, wow, what tremendous momentum, what great momentum we have in the market. We don't see momentum. Our indicators have not suggested given any momentum buy signal. Let's give, give one example as of a way you don't see movement. Let's take the semiconductors, which people are saying, wow, what a great um, what a great momentum uh, uh, um, index. And just to give you some some idea, you look at the SOX index, which is, semiconductor, which is really primary NVIDIA and some other great leaders. Just uh, just give you some idea. Um, intraday, intraday on... Uh, on July uh, July twentieth, which is you know just a few days ago, intraday on July twentieth, at its low intraday, the index is only zero point five four percent higher than it was at the intraday highs of May thirtieth. Okay, so from May thirtieth to July twentieth, the Sox index, which is a great momentum leader, is only up a half a percent from the high of of May thirtieth to the low of uh, of July uh, July twentieth. Uh, so that's just an idea that people feel there's great momentum, but there's an emotional feeling, but you're measuring actual market momentum. There's no evidence of momentum, certainly not the type of momentum that suggests further increases. We've looked at all major tops in history, or even minor tops in history, going back to 1928 and the future 100, and the rate of change into the latest highs is no greater and no stronger than the rate of change into previous final bull market peaks. So there's no reason to think that since the market has done so well for the last six weeks, that it means it's going to do well. All it tells you is that it has done well. We look for indicators that tell you that the market will continue doing well, and no, none of those indicators signal in the last six weeks, in the last two months. Now, however, going back to last October, I'll give you an idea of what we saw last October, just a little bit uh, of ideas. What we saw in October, what we saw in December, what we saw in January. And for example, October 4th, you know, the S&P bottom, uh, bottom of October 13th, slightly below September 30th low, and the... Um, and the um, uh, the Russell or the SP small caps and mid caps bottomed in late in late September. Now on October fourth, which is a few days before the low of the of the of the S and P, the S and P generated a a, a a dramatic statistic: the number of stocks making three day highs. We're not talking about fifty two week highs, which I'm sure many people on your show always talk about. How many stocks are making new fifty two week highs? The percentage of stocks making new three day highs is ninety eight percent. Ninety eight percent is a very rare thing to see, to see 98% of the SP Foundation is making a three-day high. It actually only happened once before, and that is since the market gained another 17.27% within the next year. We've gained 21.05% since then. That was a buy signal. Now, people may say, it only happened once before. What we do is we try to find rare signals. We try to find aberrations of the market, not non-random events that have bullish implications. This is just one of the many things we saw, but the point of being is that we're up 41.05% since October 4th. And the signal at that time, the turning point signal was a simple fact that the number of three-day highs was more than 90, 98%. Um, that was something we saw in October. Uh, but then we saw on October 3rd, the day before that, for example, we saw another turning point signal. And October 3rd, I believe it was a down date, and the trend, now let me give you a little technical, what trend, the trend is a ratio of the number of issues that are up to the number of issues that are down, you take that ratio and you 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 combine that with the ratio of the volume of those stocks that are down to the volume of the stocks that are up. Anyway, the trend was above four, which means 
was roughly what it means. It's not the exact uh, explanation, but just to make it easy, it roughly tells you there's four times as much downside volume in stocks that are going down relative to where they should have been based on the ratio of number of stocks going down. Okay, In other words, there's an exceedingly uh, ex- uh, excess amount of downside volume in stocks that were declining. Very simple. Now, that's just, that's it's a very rare indicator. It only happened 10 times in the past. The median gain over the next 12 months when this has happened has been 21.84%. Now, we've gained 24.75%. To date, it's not yet 12 months. But the point is, these are the kind of turning points we look for. These are the kind of things we saw in October. We don't see anything like that now to suggest the market's going higher. Another example I saw in October, uh, October 17th, which is like five calendar days after the low. Um, the low, actually, the, the print, the, the, the closing low was October 12th. October 17th, we saw many, many buy signals. I have a list of about six. I won't go through all of them. But I'm showing the kind of thing we saw then that gave, gave, gave us confidence the market going to be headed higher. We don't have, we don't see those kind of things now. Those markets going higher. In fact, there's evidence the market should head, head lower, which we'll get to in a moment. But for example, in, um, in uh, October 17th, it was three days past the low, three, three trading days past the low. The S&P generated eight ten times as many stocks on the upside as the downside. This is not volume to stocks themselves. The advanced decline ratio on October 17th is 18 to 1. We look in the past to see how many times in the past has the S&P generated an, at least an 18 to 1 upside issue ratio three days past a, 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 a low. Now, in other words, the market made a low three days ago, hasn't made a low low. And on day three, 18 times as many stocks up and down. Well, that happened. Three times in the past, and the median return has been 53% over the next 12 months. We're up 24.77%. The point being is, we saw evidence that the market should turn higher in October. We don't see evidence now that the market should turn higher. What we see is the fact that people have thrown in the towel. You have a far worse yield curve, than you, inverted yield curve now than you have in October. And yet everyone is saying, oh, yield curves don't count anymore because the market has gone up. Well, it doesn't count anymore because um, you just don't want it to count anymore. But I think the yield curve is a very important indicator. And the yield curve isn't, isn't the precise turning point indicator. The yield curve tells you, yes, there's probably recession following the yield curve, probably a stock market decline. But we're looking for turning point analysis. Turning point analysis told us that the decline that began the last January ended in October, at least for a short term. And now it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's probably 10 months since then. And the market has is up 24.77% since October 17th by signal. I'll just make. I'll just mention one more signal we had in October, just to give you an idea of the kind of things we look at. If you recall, on October on October fourth, we mentioned that the trend was above four, which means very high volume in the stocks on the downside, which suggests capitulation, suggests an end of the down move. Well, October seventeenth, just three days after the low, the, the trend was zero point four rather than four point zero zero. The trend was zero point four. Again, we look going at history. When you, now, that tells me that there's a tremendous num- excess volume in stocks that are moving up on the day relative to the number of stocks moving up on the day. Now, you look three days past a low. How many times in the past did you see a trend below 0.4? It's a very rare reading to see a trend below 0.4. When did we ever see it three days after a low? Well, happened three times in the past. The median gain for the next six, about 12 months was 26.67%. We're up 24.77%. That's the kind of thing we do. Turning point analysis, we do that MB advisors, we get most of our clients are institutional, most of our clients understand what we're doing, we, we, we issue them this, this type of data. Uh, most of them make their own decisions what to do, to do with this data, we give our own recommendations, we, we were bullish at the time. But that's what we saw then. Now, what do we see now? What do we see now? Well, first of all, we see, see on a fundamental basis, we see a, a, uh, a, a, a steeply yield curve. It's far steeper now than it was in October. So I want to tell you all the fundamentalists were Pounding the table in October, November, December, January, February, you can't buy stocks because of the inverted yield curve. I'm going to tell you, no, you guys were right. You can't buy stocks now because of the inverted yield curve. You could buy stocks then because the market was oversold coming after 25% decline, and we had many technical reasons to buy stocks. Now we no longer have any technical reasons to buy stocks. Now the fundamentals are starting to hit because the Federal Reserve was not tight until June. They're just starting to get tight now. And therefore, um, uh, once they start getting tight, you have to worry about a bear market. So we're worrying about a bear market now. So that's one thing you see as far as yield curve. But let's see what else we can see technically. If you get no secret source, as you mentioned, but let's get to see what you see in the current market. Number one, there's some indicators that only work in context, meaning there's some indicators that are very, very rare, very, very extreme. You rarely see that. Unfortunately, these extremes take place both at major market tops 
and it made your market problems. So you have to have the right conflict or, and often they take place as the market's about to accelerate to the upside. So sometimes you see an indicator and, and you have to tell yourself, are we after a, just past a, a major low? So this indicator is bullish. How we just come after a major uh, or a strong, or strong uh, intermediate rally so that maybe it's bearish or maybe this is indicated telling the market probably to accelerate to the upside. So let me give you one idea. Uh, uh, one one indicator, which is you know, I, I no one else spoke about this, so I might as well speak about this myself. Um, uh, this was on um, on uh, July thirteenth. July thirteenth, the S and P gained for that day. It gained zero point eight five percent. That's nothing. It's a, a regular day. However, that was the fourth straight day that the S and P gained uh, 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 generated accelerating gains. In other words, the S and P's percentage gains for four days in a row accelerated. Day one was up X percent, day two was X plus percent, day three X plus plus percent, and day four X plus 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 percent. It's a very rare instance. Four, it's what we call the four-day acceleration indicator. Now, very often this takes place right after a low. So for example, uh, this took place um, uh, after the low in 1998, and it actually happened twice. It happened in September and again in October of 1998 after that 19% uh, mark line. It happened near the 2009 low, but not quite. It actually happened, mostly it happens in the low. Again, one instance happened in the low. It happened in 1949 at the low. It happened during an acceleration phase in 2018. It happened during acceleration phase in 2021. So some, this is an, an indicator which is very, very rare. It doesn't happen very often. But very often it happens in the low acceleration phase. However, this indicator often signals near a top. So for example, example, this, this indicator signaled on, um, on, on June 4th, 1990, and the market declined 19% after this four-day acceleration. This indicated a signal on July 19, 1977, and the market declined 14%. This signal on October 14th, 1969, and the market declined 27%. And going back to the more modern history, the signal on January 28th, 2009, just as a bear market rally was ending, and the market declined 22.60% in less than two months. It signaled in 2011 on May 31st, just as the market was making that financial crisis top, it was the European financial crisis in 2011, the market declined 19%. Anyway, this happened on July 13th. So we're telling ourselves, for the acceleration, often takes place on the low, which is bullish, often takes place as the market's accelerating to the upside, often takes place at the top. But where are we? We're certainly not coming off a low. So you can't say it's suggesting that the market has just made a low because not coming off a low, coming off a 25% gain, the S&P and a 30% plus gain in the NASDAQ and so on. You can't say it's, it's it, you could say it's telling the market to accelerate to the upside. However, it just took place, didn't take place when the market is breaking out of, of a trading range. It takes place after people are already saying the market is accelerating, showing momentum. So it's highly unlikely that it's suggesting further acceleration to the upside. So therefore, it's most likely this turning is telling you that they, they call it far more fear of missing out. People are panicking, people are getting into the market, and it's just the time you want to get out of the market. This is just one indicator we see. Just to let you know, there have been 16 times in the past since 1928. This indicator is single before a, a, a minor a correction or a bear market. And we're thinking that uh, combined with other things we see, we're, we're, we're worried that this indicator which just signals is suggesting fear of missing out, panic buying. And that's why I see four acceleration and taking place close to a market peak. That's 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 one indicator we saw. Another indicator we see is um is a uh, is a New York stock exchange. We look at the um, upside value, the volume of stocks that are on the upside. Look at volume that are stocks on the downside. We look at total volume, and we look at the five-day net up volume as percent of the total volume. In other words, look at we look at the five-day look at the five-day volume in the New York Stock Exchange. See how much of the volume occurred in stocks that are moving up relative to the total volume. That was we got a reading of above forty-five percent. This too is an indicator which often takes place off a low. You know, you see high volume coming off a low, but we're not off a low, but also. It signals before the market's correcting. So, for example, uh, this signal uh, in December 23rd, 2014, just before 10% correction. The signal on July 1st, 2011, just before the market declined 7.95% from that date. So, this signal again on July 13th. So, the same day you had the four day acceleration in the SP, where the SP gained, uh, saw its percentage gain accelerate four days in a row. You also saw the five day net up by the New York Stock Exchange above 45%. Now, again, uh, uh, pundits out there or people who aren't really involved very closely in true technical analysis will say, hey, this is bullish. I'm no longer bearish. And in fact, we see that investor intelligence and in, and in um, American Association of Visual Investors, you even see it in the National Association 
of um, an AAIM, National Association of uh, Active Investment Managers, they all said, all say, wow, this is a great momentum market. The NAIM is, is now 100, 101% long the market. Um, and the uh, investor intelligence is showing more bulls than you've seen in, in about 18 months. So uh, way before the bear market began. Way before the, you know, so the point is that uh, people are, if, it, if it's obvious, as Joe Greer will say, if it's obvious, obviously wrong. But it seems to be obvious to everybody that we won't have a recession, the market's going to go up. But the technical indicators we see are suggesting a trading point ahead, and we think the likelihood is, rather than acceleration to the upside, we think the likelihood we'll see at least a, a, a minor correction. Or maybe this is just a great bear market rally, which is just ended. So I showed you two things we see, but there's something, some, some major, major other factors that we see. I don't know. Maybe you want to ask some more questions. I can continue talking. It's up to you, Julia. I have a lot to say. Well, uh, this is what I love about having a podcast is I get to invite folks on like yourself um, who are just so smart and give you the time to answer. I think one of the problems I have with like traditional media or financial media, if you will, is like, there's, there's like, you can't possibly answer that question in like two minutes or three minutes on live television. And you're helping all of us get better and smarter. So I love it. So you can talk as long as you want. There I want are to no say rules. because there's some... there are no rules on this show, Milton, okay. but I do have a question for you. Go okay? ahead. Go ahead. Um, so it's, this is just more of a clarifying thing. We're not exactly at a turning point, but there could be a turning point ahead. Is that what I'm hearing? And that is, did I hear you say it's time? You're thinking it's time to get out of the market. Can you just yes, okay. clarify that, that for that's me? First of all, you start out with, we're always dealing with probabilities. So when you say it's a trading point, I'd say I give, at this point, I'd give it a 75% probability at the market. It's, it's great bull move we've seen. Um, it's ended at least for the short term or with significant correction or even for the long term, meaning that it's just a rally in the bear market. We're headed to lower lows. That's what I'd say. We were at a turning point. Now, a turning point, usually our turning point analysis gives us signals after the on the bottom or top, could be right after the bottom, a few days after the bottom, or a few days before the bottom. For example, the examples I gave in October, we showed some signals October 3rd, October 4th, which was a couple of days before the low in the S&P, and we gave some signals October 17th, which was three days after the low. So same thing with the tops. You don't always get, tops are even more difficult, so tops, we, we could get a signal maybe one month or two months before a top, or you get a signal one day or two days or three days before a top, or a signal one day after a top, or, or three weeks after a top. It's a turning point. It's at the area over the top. So I would say yes. Um, we we see a potential turning point here. Uh, whether we've seen the top already, I think we've seen the top already in the Nasdaq. I think July 19th should have been the top before correction sits in. We'll, and I'll discuss that if we get time. We'll discuss why we say that. So that that is that question. I hope. Uh, but yeah. let me just take it to the next step, which is something else that's very very important, which people aren't really focusing on. Go for it. And that is a banking index. And this is a very, very important concept. There's something called the, the KBW Bank Index. The symbol is BKX on Bloomberg. Uh, just to give you some idea, uh, the BKX Index is a, uh, has a has a market cap of $1.70 trillion. It, 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 it has a number of stocks that are basically Goldman Sachs is in that, uh, is in that Morgan Stanley is inside this group, Zion's Bank, Key Bank, and so on. It's a bunch of stocks. There are 24 issues in this, in this index. Now, historically, as you know, when there's a banking crisis, banks go down and stocks go down. Not just banking stocks that go down. You know, General Motors will go down, Apple will go down, Tesla will go down, um, uh, Caterpillar tracks it. Because when there's a financial crisis, generally, and there's a recession, generally, you're going to see all stocks go down. But when the banking index finally makes its low and turns up, believe it or not, generally, all stocks turn up. And let me give you an example. And within one to two days of the lows in 2002, the banking BK index bottom and the S&P 500 or NASDAQ bottom. Within one to three days of the lows in 2009, the banking index bottom and the NASDAQ or the S&P bottom. Within one to three days of the low in 2011, same story, same story in 2016, in 2018, 2020. Now let's look at 2022 and 2023. The S&P 500 bottom on October 12th, 2022. The banking index, the BKX, it's not bottom in October. BKX made its last low on May 4th. And that low was 29% below its October low. So this might be just an aberration. Or this might be telling you underlying this market, there's a potential banking crisis ahead, which has not been yet been perceived by the uh, by the broad market. Of course, the, the, the banking index has gained uh, some, some 28% off the lows of, of March. Also, so they have they have gained, but uh, the, 
that's just a minor rally within the bear market. If you, if you, just to give you some idea, uh, let me go to uh, show you how, this BKX index. If currently at today's prices, even though it's up twenty eight percent, or if it's uh, or if it's lows in uh, March, it's still forty point two eight percent below its high of January two thousand twenty two. So this index is showing a classic bear market rally. It's up twenty eight percent in the bear market, but it's still down forty percent. The point they're making is. This time is different. We have to ask ourselves why. Why did bank stocks and the S&P not bottom within days of each other? Why did the S&P bottom in October and the bank stock continue 29% lower until, 23% lower until until March? We have this question. Yes, it might be because the bear, the bear market has not ended. Just like it has not, it didn't end in the in banking stocks in October, neither did it end in the S&P 500 in October, and therefore the market uh, may be making a top here. That's something just to point out. I didn't notice any else, anyone else pointing this out. I know there's one technician in the past uh, years ago named John Mendelssohn who always used to claim that you're not going to see a bull market when banking stocks are going down. Now, the reality is banking stocks were down 23% and we saw bull markets, so NASDAQ and S&P tremendously. So I wouldn't agree with him that you never see a, a bull market when banking stocks are going down, but I, would fight, I did fight historically. You never had a bear market end without the banking stocks themselves ending the bear market, and usually it's coincident at the same time and for some reason, this time the banking stocks are just in the bear market rally. They bottomed, they bottomed in March. Maybe that's not the final bottom. We will see. This is just something for people to think about. I haven't noticed anybody else in in, in my field uh, discussing this at all. Okay, that's fascinating too. Can you? Okay, um, that's a good point about the banking sector. I another curiosity I have for you is that a lot of. Um, I guess a lot of the returns in the market have just been driven by just a handful of names, like the Magnificent Seven, if yeah. you know, like it's kind of narrow. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, the funny thing is, many people are talking about that. It bothers many people. It doesn't bother me at all. I used to run a very large option fund, option lining fund. When I first got it, well, early in my career, it wasn't my first in the business. I've been in business for quite a while, but you know, I was 10 years in the business and they gave me a nearly billion dollar option writing fund. Now, I wasn't into option writing, but they, you know, that was my job and I did it. But I kept telling the board of directors of this fund that this is not a sane strategy. I mean, I want to do it because people, the generate so-called income. But I said, the SP 400, when the SP 100 is up 30%, it's not because each stock is up 30%. It's because a handful of stocks are up 150% and the rest is languishing. Not every, when you have an index of stocks, the reason you diversify, people think you diversify to prevent muscles. That's one of the reasons you diversify. You're also diversified to catch those great stocks that are rallying. If you only buy five stocks, what are the chances are the five stocks to buy are NVIDIA, or Tesla, and, uh, and Apple? But if you buy this, you know you're going to get some of the stocks that are really having major, major moves. So this is historically has always happened. People act like it's never happened. Historically, it's always, always happened. Getting back to the option riding, I said, well, right options against individual stocks. If you have a diversified portfolio, writing options against visual stocks, when you write an option, you're not gaining the gains those stocks make, so you'll actually underperform the market significantly. See, the theory was when you write options against individual stocks and a broad diversified portfolio, you'll outperform the market. But the reality is you're not going to outperform because when you write options, you're tapping the gains of those great winners that you would have in that, in that portfolio. If I wrote options against Apple or against Tesla or against NVIDIA, I wouldn't capture the gains. It's those who bought the options from you who capture those gains. I had a portfolio, I'm going to flatten out my performance and underperform the S&P. Anyway, the point is I've been researching this many times in the past, and this is a normal, not an aberration. Uh, it's, it, it, in the past, it was the oil stocks, and now it's the technology stocks. Very, very normal to see a concentrated group of issues taking the broad averages up. I'm not bothered with that at all, honestly. That's not one of the reasons we're turning bearish here at all. Yeah. Um, I think the last time you and I spoke would have been, gosh, it would have been like, either early to mid-February. At the time you told me like your positioning um, was I think 100% short and you walked me through how you all Every had second. been. Yeah, and y'all had been long and right, then flat. Right, right, yes, you yes. Me what are, how I'm are you positioned today? I'm so glad you brought that up. February 2nd was a phenomenal day. I mentioned February 2nd. Like, look, February 2nd, as you know, let me give you some some ideas. He said February 2nd may be a turning point. Now listen to this. The SP since February 2nd through, through uh, through currently is up 9.28%. Nice return. More than its average historical return. Let's look at some other indexes. Let's look at the Russell 2000. Uh, for, from February 2nd to, to uh, March 27th, lost 15%. And through today's prices, it's only up 1.11%. 1 
So February 2nd, I believe, was the earliest indication of a topping process in the market. We discussed the indicators we saw in February 2nd, suggesting a market that may be topping. The Russell was down 15%, SP was down 7%, so it didn't make a to me a term top. Now the market, the S&P has made new highs, and NASDAQ has made new highs. The Russell 2000 just had just made a minor new high yesterday. It's only 1.112% above its previous high. The mid-caps or, or some other indices, the small caps, are not above the February 2nd highs. So yes, February 2nd, we were positioned short. We actually covered the shorts. We went long. Uh, now we're short again because now again we see evidence to the top. So we're then we were a heavy short, and now we're actually positioned. Uh, I, 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 we're pushing about 150% short the market, thinking this is a, a a tradable top of the market. Now on February 2nd, the market actually peaked on February 2nd. Yeah, and it was actually the indicators we saw. We actually got short a couple of days after that, but the indicators of February 2nd and February 3rd gap to the downside worked immediately. We're seeing similar action now in the market, but right now the, we see the topping process probably we got in mid June. And we're still in a topping process for the market, and we'll see what happens. But we're short now as well. Yes, we're definitely short as well. Should I tell you what we're seeing now? We'd like to hear an idea why we're short to give you a lot of the technical Yes, reading. I'd love to hear why. Yeah, what is it? Well, number one, we mentioned the word yield curve. You don't have to talk about it anymore because people were so wrong about that for, for over a year. You know, but now we says, remember we mentioned that the Federal Reserve has just began tightening. What they did last June when they started raising rates, we're talking about June 2022, they started raising rates three quarters of a percent at a time. And we'll say, why about tightening? Well, the market bottom just then, the market realized they're not tightening because the, despite they raised the rate three quarters of a percent, it's still way below the inflation rate, so it's not tightening. It's, real rates was zero, below zero. Now real rates and federal flow rates is positive, about 1.8% positive, so now they're actually tightening. Secondly, the, the yield curve. There's two yield curves. There's a yield curve and a real yield curve. Same thing with the, with the yield curve. The yield curve was negative, but the real yield curve only, began to only turned negative a few months ago. So if you're going to look at the yield curve and adjust it for inflation, the real yield curve only started turning negative uh, a couple of months ago. So in a sense, the yield curve, if the, if, if the yield curve is a viable indicator, it, it, it viability just begins now. It didn't begin you know, a year ago when people were play, pounding the table and saying the market's going to go down because of the yield curve. But let's talk about the technicals. Those are fundamentals. I, you know, It's funny, I think, because even the fundamentalists aren't mentioning this. That's a, that's a strange thing. I, I focus on technical analysis. And I'll point the out what should have mentioned, which is that the, that the Fed really wasn't raising rates until June, and the yield curve wasn't really negative until about May. So I don't know why the fundamentals will look at these and you don't mention it, but let's talk about the technicals. And we talked about the four-day acceleration as a sign of a top. We talked about the five-day up, net upside volume of 45% as a sign of a top. We have an oscillator that um, measures 18 separate indicators. It measures uh, a combination of sentiment indicators. We mentioned the AAII, the NAIM sentiment indicators. And um, it also mentioned, looks at momentum, it looks at the supply line. And that got to the fourth highest oversold reading, or maybe the fifth highest oversold reading it's ever seen. And this indicator goes back to the late 1980s. Overbought indicator, not oversold, but fourth greatest overbought indicator. Now, we checked when it gets it to an overbought extreme, there's about a 78% chance. As the market, you'll be able to cover at significantly lower, lower lows if you wait for the next um, uh, downside extreme. So that's another reason we're, we're negative because look at a combination of 18 oscillators, the market is showing clear overbought conditions. But uh, let's look at the real, the, real, the real technical stuff. That's probably more important. July 22, 2015, the market made a short-term top. The Nasdaq made a short-term top. It declined 16.5%. Day two after the low, Day two, after the high, it made a high in July 22nd. Actually, it made, made a high in July, and July 22nd, which is two days after the high. The Nasdaq declined, and the gap down day. I'm not sure if you what a gap down day. It basically means the market opened lower than the lowest low of the previous day and didn't fill that gap. In other words, it opened below. Throughout the trading day, the market was below the previous day's low and never got to a level above the previous day's low. It's called the gap down. It's a rear indication, and that would took two days after the low and after the high, and that suggested a, a decline in the market price sixteen point five nine percent. February seventeenth, two thousand twenty-one, the market Nasdaq gapped down one day after the low after the high, and it climbed another ten point nineteen percent. Another example is um, August nineteenth, two thousand twenty-two, which was after the first bear market rally we had this time. The, the Nasdaq gapped down. On day three off the high, and it declined another 20.59% until it's October low. February 24th, 2020, 
the, the Nasdaq gap down and declined 27.65%. That was during the 2020 COVID crisis. S&P 500, August 22nd, 2022, four days after a high gap down, it led to a 26% decline to the low. Now, gap, gap down taking place within days of a closing recovery high is a rare, rare occurrence. When it happens, more often than that, it's a sign of further correction. February 24th, 2020, they threw off the high, the S&P gapped down, and it declined 31.32%. I'm not going to go through all the historical instances. I just want to tell what a gap is. What does a gap represent? A gap, remember, gap, there's gap downs and there's gap ups. The gap down means that the market, uh, cl- this, the market uh, was down on the day, and it's high for the day was below the low of the previous day. That's the gap down. The gap up means the market is up on the day, and its lowest low on that update is above the highest high of the previous day. Gaps are rare events, especially when you look at an index. It's not as rare when you look at an individual stock. When you look at an index of 500 stocks or 1,000 stocks or 100 stocks, gaps are rare occurrences, and gaps are not randomly distributed. You see gaps coming off lows, you see gaps coming off highs, and just as we said earlier, sometimes gaps generate an acceleration to the upside or downside, in the mid-range gap. But what, what, what happened here is that we've seen a, a proliferation of gaps both to the upside and downside beginning in June 16th. It generated a, a, a gap on June 13th, June 20th, June 30th, July 6th, July 12th. On July 27th, it opened up with a, with a 0.52% gap, which was filled as the index reversed down 1.70%. So these, these gaps are suggestive of panic buying. To the upside or the downside. A gap to the downside suggests panic to the downside. A gap to the upside suggests panic to the upside. And what it's telling you is somehow, finally, after this big move off the October lows, we're starting to see participants in the market trading in a very emotional, non rational way. And these are the things that, are, that occur at the top. Um, so we've seen that a proliferation of tops in the SEC 100, we've seen a proliferation of gaps in the NASDAQ 100, we've seen a proliferation of gaps in the um, in the uh, in the semiconductor indices and Rus- Russell 2000 as well. Now let me just talk about the, the the the. Remember we said that historically found that the market gaps one or two days after a top in Nasdaq. Let me look at the MDX. One second. The MDX folks had a series of gaps, but the last gap we saw in the MDX occurred on July 20th. Yeah, MDX peaked on July 19th, and it gapped down on July 20th. Right now, we're now, we're now on, on August 1st. Right now, the high of July 19th says, oh, which is suggestive that that gap is a final, it suggested that that was the final high before major correction. Now, that wasn't the only gap you saw. You saw gaps going into that high. So a gap on July um, 13th and July 12th, two days in a row, upside gaps, which would be telling people are panicking. They have to get into the market. have to get into the market. There's a fellow uh, who used to work with me, who now uh, runs a uh, macro, uh, macro shop giving advice, and he just turned... He was basically negative all year. He just turned bullish at last night's close because yeah, he got to move. You know, got to buy stocks. The stocks are acting so well. This is the kind of emotion that takes place at top. So people are fear of missing out. They call it fear, or people are buying indexes and get, uh, forcing those indexes to gap to the upside. No logic to that. I mean, it, it, investment should be a rational. You sit down in your armchair and you smoke your pipe and you decide which stocks to buy, which stocks to sell, and you do it in a very rational way. When, the, when, when there's so many people buying stocks to such an extent that the market, the gapping up or down, it's an emotional market and you have to really have experience and have the studying data to know what it means. And the case is crazy. It clearly means we're in a topping process. With it clearly, I'm giving you a 78% probability that we're in a topping process. Now, it may just be a minor correction of uh, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10%, but considering how, 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 how the markets have risen since October and, and December, and considering that the Federal Reserve is finally tightening, and considering that you, you have set funds rate um, finally, at a, at a level that's that, that's uh, restrictive, considering the fact that you know, here's some other fundamental data. I don't like to talk about fundamentals, but you know, you say GDP is up three quarters in a row. That's fine, but GDI, which is the uh, gross domestic income, is down three of the last four quarters. You, know, you can measure uh, you can measure the strength of economy by output, which is GDP. Or you can measure the strength of economy by income, which is GDI. Uh, most economists look at GDP, but if you look at GDI. It's been down three to the last four months and five in the last six quarters. So that tells you that the incomes aren't keeping up with the, uh, and historically, again, yeah, historically, GDI and GDP are correlated. When, when, general, when, when gross domestic income is down, gross domestic product is also down. But you know, there are reasons why gross domestic product might be up while GDI is down is because when, when a company's built inventory, 
enhance the GDP because they're producing. But unless people buy the inventory income to create income, incomes will go down. So it seems there might be a, 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 a an increase in inventories, which is also recessionary. But some companies, like auto auto companies, when they increase inventories to such an extent that they there's an oversupply that generally leads to recession. So the fundamental reason to think the market could be topping is chart patterns to think the market may be topping. There's this there's a monetary reason to think the market might be topping. And again, uh, for some reason, the same people who are bearish six, seven, eight months ago are ignoring the reasons they're bearish and saying they don't count. And I don't think that doesn't make sense. If an inverted curve is negative, it's negative. If it didn't, if the market didn't tank until now, why, why tell them it will tank tomorrow? Nothing is yeah. perfect. GDP, excuse me, yield curve is not a, a turning point indicator. It's a broad indicator telling you the market is vulnerable. No one there is not written any place that the market has to collapse three months after the yield curve is negative. And certainly the way I'm analyzing it, that the real yield curve didn't turn negative until May, then they, they had, didn't, really didn't have a reason to collapse. Based on this, you have to say, after they say, why did the market decline from January to June of 2022? The, the bulk of the decline ended in June. There was testing in October for the S&P or for the S&P small caps. The Russell actually bought it in June of last year. Why did the market decline if federal wasn't restrictive? The answer is it didn't decline because of Federal Reserve. It declined because of the war in Ukraine. If you remember the headline being in January when the markets first started turning down, it didn't turn down because the Fed started raising rates. It turned down because there's a war. People talk about nuclear war. People go crazy. And that's really that's really a cause of panic decline. The true beer market decline, which is going to be based on recession, really ha- may not may not have taken place yet. It may be mm-hmm. the future. And 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 why do they say it's in the future? Because finally you've had the I think eleven straight increases in the Fed fund rate, and finally it, it, it's it's going to bite because it's now finally um. Uh, giving you a real, um, giving you a real, um, uh, a, a real interest rate in the federal funds rate, which means that, that monetary policy is starting to get restricted. Yeah. Um, well, Milton, we only have a few minutes no. left, so I want to kind of sneak in a couple more questions with sure. you. Um, the last time you and I spoke, I think you gave me a price target on the S and P uh, five hundred. Do you have a price target in mind? Do you remember the price target I gave you then? I'm curious. Any idea? I okay. I want to say it was. If you could tell me, I feel like it was forty six fifty. Excellent. How high did we get? It worked. It worked. Okay. <laughs> I want to just repeat that because your viewers didn't see the last show. They had the guy give. Now I'm going to say forty six fifty, forty seven fifty five thousand. But no one said it then. <laughs> I said it could be indicated turn bullish. Let me just review what we talked about in October, for example. The October, um, the October signals. I said, you know, pro- projected gains in the S and P of twenty one percent, you know, and we got those kind of returns. So uh, yes, we got. But now I don't want to project how far we go to the dot. I can't project that. I think it's it's possible. I won't say it's likely. It's possible we've seen the final highs. Maybe get a pullback and you test the highs again, and then we go down. It's hard to know. But I think the bulk of the gains that we should have seen, we've seen already. Normally, normally, honestly, I'd be more bullish now. Because normally a bull market doesn't end in less than a year. The bull market started last October, and for the Nasdaq it began last um, December. And usually bull markets last far more than a year. And this is not the greatest bull market. People are acting it's the strongest market ever in history because it's not really true. Most beer mar- bull markets actually have a greater return through through this period than this one has had. But um, it's it's a nice bull move. But the the technical work that I see is negative, and the fundamental work that I see is negative. So why should I be bullish on the market if the fundamentals are negative and the technicals are negative now? The fundamentals are turning bullish because the fundamentals haven't worked, but they were misanalyzing the fundamentals. The technicals just turned bullish, turned bullish October. They're turning bearish now, so I can't go turn bullish now based on technical indicators that turned bullish last October or last December. Anyway, so I've no no target to the downside. If it's a bear market, we should get below the October lows. We should get significantly below the October lows. If there's a bear market, if it's just a correction, I, I have no way of knowing. You know, just hopefully we recognize the lower the correction we're getting at that time. It's very difficult to make that projection. I would so that we say just in summary is that I think most people are misanalyzing this market. People are trading bullish for the wrong reasons. And people are, uh, you know, if you're going to trade bullish, there should be a basis for it. You can't trade bullish just because the market is 25%. It makes no sense. You can't, can't turn bullish because yield curve inversion hasn't worked, especially if there's a reason why it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked because we started from such a low level of interest rates. And the Fed raised interest rates 11 times, but they started from 0%. So raising raising rates five percent from zero percent is not the same as raising rates five percent if you got at four percent. So I'd say that that uh, anyway that's our view at, at this point. Yeah, um, and then one final question. I want to go back to the beginning of the conversation when I asked you kind of the big picture when you're talking about 
markets and it kind of depends where you are in your life um i guess for younger folks with that longer term horizon versus those with like that nest egg they've already built up um maybe because i'm a millennial uh, and i'm not that young because millennials really aren't young we're like almost yeah i don't know but maybe let's say like are you more concerned or worried about like the longer term prospects maybe for your own kids um in like future generations i'm worried that the uh Universities are, are uh, dissing capitalism. They, they, they think that the way to have prosperity is through socialism, through equality, have everyone have the equal incomes. The reality is that if you want to have a great economy where everybody participates, you have to allow people to get rich. You have to allow, give people accept to get rich. You can't, you can't take from the rich like Robin and give to the poor. You have to, you have, to have a free market, let everyone do the best they can, and there's no such thing as equality. Not everyone has the same ability, not everyone has the same education, not everyone has the same cultural background. So everyone has the, everyone has the potential to do great, but in any true society, there will be people up there and people down there, and that can never be changed. No matter how much the social people seek to change, unless you want to have everyone down, you know, one of the like Cuba or Venezuela or Communist China when it was before they, 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 they um, took capitalism in. Yeah, everyone was equal, but equal equal on the bottom. If you, if you want to have greatness and growth, There'll never be equality, but those on the bottom will be far higher than those at the top in socialist and communist countries. There's a reason why everyone throughout the world is running to America. And it's not because so of the welfare programs. That's really not why they run to America. They run to America because America is, is probably the last, last uh, country where there's still freedom, where someone like J J uh, uh, Jeff Bezos could start from nothing and build the you know, richest man in the world. You can't do that in France. You can't do that in Russia. You can't do that in Sweden. You can't do that in South Africa. You can't do it any place except in America. So, I, well, there are some exceptions. But the point is, that's what I say. I'm just worried about the uh, shifting from capitalism to socialism, you know, shifting from low taxation to high taxation, uh, putting the blame of all society's ills on the wealthy. Well, just the opposite. The great society is because you allow people to to live the life as they please. As they want, and I think that, that that's my, my, my fear, shifting away from what America was built on, freedom, prosperity, independence, individuality. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Milton Berg, a founder and CEO of MB Advisors. Thank you so much for coming on and being so generous with your time and your ideas and also just teaching us. I feel like I always learn from you. So I really appreciate you coming on, Great. Milton. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was enjoyable. Great.